episode 14 of the Canes Country Podcast. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. My name's Brett Finger. Per usual, I'm joined by Justin Lape and Kyle Morton. I think the best thing for us is to, um, we need to talk about Dano66, who says, just sweet to finally have a solid Hurricanes podcast. Keep it up, guys. That was on September 24th. Um, obviously, we're not very good at managing our podcast, or else we would have uh, read this comment sooner. I mean, that comment is a clear call to action, or a clear declaration of war between us and the other Hurricanes podcasts that are out there on the market. You know who you are. We don't need to drop names. You know who you are. We're coming for you. And we are going to take the throne. To clarify a couple of things. One, that was a review on iTunes. Some people say some people say don't read the comments, but do read the reviews. And not only read them, read them aloud on your podcast for content. Even if you don't like our podcast, drop a review. Even if it's one star, we would love to read what you have to say and what we can improve on, which basically is nothing. We're very good at what we do. So, we recorded we recorded an episode last week. And it was extremely good. <laughs> as we just alluded to, we were very good at our job and we're very good at what we do. But then the classic mix-up happened where Brett's computer, outside not his fault at all, but Brett's computer decided it didn't want us to have that show that week. So the audio was messed up so we couldn't export it. And reasons completely out of our own control that happened. And then, when we all realized this, I wasn't able to join because I was attending the World Series in Houston, Texas. And I gotta say, if you, if, if you ever have the opportunity to visit the town of Houston, the town, it, it's the fourth big city. The county. It's the, <laughs> similar to the size of Clayton, North Carolina. Just, just, just a small little town. <laughs> it's, it's, more, uh, it's more Bowie Creek. Oh, anyway, oh, okay. anyway, Houston's a wonderful city. Uh, I am I am not a true Astros fan, but my cousin is a member of the of the Houston Astros, uh, so I, so I, I have become an honorary Astros fan this season, and I, I've had I got to say I've had the time the, the time of my life this weekend at the World Series. It was unbelievable. Uh, I'd like to I, I beg for forgiveness for missing the podcast episode. I haven't listened to it, the one I missed, out of principle because I like myself too much. Uh, yes, of course. And. <laughs> Myself okay. take a hit when I found out that they did just as good of a show without me, and that I. <laughs> did you happen to hear Brett's reading of uh, our sponsor now? No, I told you I didn't listen to the show. Oh, yeah. I, I only listen to episodes I'm on because I'm. It's an ego thing, or or, or what? No, what is... <laughs> no, I just want to make sure I'm good. Um, the most important thing that we have to talk about is the last three games. Um, I think that starts with the, tr- the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs, which uh, I did not watch that game because I was on the airplane to Houston. But I was following it, and I was very surprised to see to see you win. Uh, basically, what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about the whole game, even though I didn't watch it. Uh, and, and then we'll let, we'll let Brett and Justin talk about the other games. So I'll talk about the Toronto game. I did watch the highlights, so um, uh, Josh Joris looked great. He scored two goals. Uh, again, I only watched the highlights, so all I saw from him was scoring two goals. And if he can keep up that rate of scoring a goal every time I see him like, in, make a play, every, if every play I, I see him make is a goal, I think that'll be a pretty successful signing for the Canes. Um, I believe 
Noah Hannafin almost scored a goal. I believe he was robbed by Freddie Anderson. That's a tough break. Who? Hang on. I got to remember who scored the other goals. No help. Victor Rass scored off the feed from Teravainen. Teravainen scored in the slot and it trickled through. McKinn scored on a rocket on a two-on-one. And then Holm tipped in a shot from Ajo. Scott Darling pitched a shutout. Uh, he didn't give up any runs. He did, however, give up three goals. He wasn't a goalie shutout, but he did pitch a shutout, which is all you can ask for while the World Series is going on. So that's my recap of the Toronto game. Big win. Unfortunately, they followed it up with two losses that I also didn't get to watch very much of. So I'll let, I'll let you guys take it away. I don't know if we can follow that up with any more relevant info. Um. No, uh, the just the resident ginger. Yeah, I have to I have to give McGinn some props for that shot. That that was a really good goal. Um, no, guys, we're done with the Toronto game. You have oh. to talk about the St. Louis game. Oh, oh we already oh, talked too oh. in depth about the Toronto game. Move on. The Toronto, <laughs> the Toronto game has peaked. Okay. No, I th- I think it was nice to go into Toronto and get a win. Um, I say it was something I didn't expect. I think I alluded to it on a previous pod. I had said. And that pod that you missed, Kyle, I made a very, very bad statement. I said the only way we win is if <laughs> Curtis McElhaney was in net. But I think what didn't Picard get pulled, called up or something like that? So I don't, I don't know. I'm just dumb, so I'll just admit that. I, I, bl- uh, I believe they put Vesatoskala in net for that game. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Andrew Raycroft pre-trade. Uh, no, but yeah, it's good to go into Toronto and get a win. What really stood out from that game specifically was how Carolina was able to get really quality scoring opportunities and not only get them, but also cash in on them. There are some defensive mishaps, but if you're scoring six, then you're going to be all right. And uh, Darling played fine. So, and moving on to a game that was a little less fun to watch. The St. Louis blues came to town on Friday night after Thursday's bout in Toronto and, First two periods looked pretty good. Third period, maybe less so. Justin, what did you think about the St. Louis game on Friday? Overall, it was just a pretty flat effort. It Again, it just hurts that a goaltender plays well for the Canes, which, you know, is something we're not used to. You know, this case, it was Cam Ward. He played fantastic, but just wasn't rewarded as rewarded with a win as a result. He played again. It was another instance where... Defense was clicking, you know, goaltending was clicking, but just the offense couldn't come up with the necessary amount to get a win. Um, and ultimately, yeah, it was it was a bad effort in front of the crowd again. Yeah, the St. Louis game was a letdown. Granted, back-to-back games, uh, or games and back-to-back nights, I should say, uh, coming from Toronto back to Carolina. St. Louis was already there and waiting for, for them to arrive. You know, the first two periods were okay. The shots were seven to seven in the first, or thirteen to thirteen, or something of that variety in the second, and then St. Louis outshot Carolina fourteen to seven in the third period and scored the game-winning goal. I believe it was Braden Shen who scored, who uh, capped off a very long offensive zone shift for St. Louis, in which Cam Ward made many, many great saves, uh, as he did fairly often against St. Louis, um, they the effort clearly wasn't there, uh, whether it was because they were tired or uh, fatigued or what have you. But, you know, the, the effort in the third period was pretty bad. And the fans weren't 
very happy either about it. There was very audible booing from the crowd. They had a power play late in the third. It would have been a huge, huge, huge goal to get to tie the game. It was an awful power play, definitely the worst this year, and there have been some bad ones, but oh wow. It was it was bad. They couldn't get into the zone. They couldn't complete a pass. Just to see that kind of effort and to see that lack of commitment to whatever the power play formula is right now, um, it was kind of baffling. St. Louis is not an easy team to play against. They will grind you down and they will make you tired if you aren't tired already and they'll wear you out and they'll score it when they get the opportunity and they did. Carolina didn't. Moving past the St. Louis game, they had the day off on Saturday and hosted the Anaheim Ducks on or at 5 o'clock on Sunday. Kyle, you did catch this one. What were your thoughts about the game? That was a roller coaster. They, uh, there were times where they looked like what I thought the Vegas Golden Knights were going to look like this year. And then there were times where they looked like what the Vegas Golden Knights do look like, do look like this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, they started off terribly. <laughs> the second period was what I caught the most of. They looked great. Lucky you. The forecheck was just on. They, they always had two guys there, and the third the third man was waiting right there to intercept any pass that got through, uh, make a play at the blue line to poke it back down. Uh, they were getting closer to the net. They pierced Miller a couple times toward the end there. <laughs> it was just a uh, – that was a really good period. Uh, they, they earned the lead, and then in the third, you know, there was that, that quote from Bill Peters that's kind of getting some attention from people around this hockey team now, uh, that three goals is enough. The Canes played like they thought three goals was enough, and they lost. And sometimes, you know, it's not – you're not going to be able to hold a one-goal lead against NHL teams. Uh, that's just how, how it is sometimes. And that's how it proved to be on, on Sunday, yesterday, uh, as we record this on Monday night. That overtime, too. That, that's, that's, a, that's a situation where you want to convert on one of those chances you're getting because they had an awful lot of chances and they, they just couldn't figure it out. And then you lose a shootout, like you like this team has tended to do before. I certainly think they played well enough to win. Uh, if they do that exact overtime, they're going to win a game 19 out of 20 times in overtime. The, the chances they were generating, uh, you got to tip your cap to Ryan Miller. He made some outstanding saves. The uh, Aho on a breakaway, uh, a couple other plays off that fantastic pass from Darling that I believe went to Rask for a chance. Hannafin looked like he was flying in overtime. They, they, they look great, and then you don't convert. The goalie makes some good saves, and then you're in trouble in the shootout because that's a coin flip, and sometimes even worse than a coin flip, almost always even worse than a coin flip when you're the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, yeah, that's the risky run. They probably should have won that game, uh, but to, to start winning, turning that type of effort into wins, they're going to need to be more consistent throughout the 60 minutes. Well, yeah, I think uh, the first period for the Canes uh, wasn't how they wanted to start. Obviously going down 2 nothing fairly early wasn't ideal but then they get a kind of weird bang bang play kind of a crash in front of uh ryan miller but it finds its way in and they kind of get more or less on the board um you know heading into that uh second intermission again the second period as kyle alluded to they played great they did they they brought a great effort in that period and justin falk to you know get the lead with that that shot that was nice. Um, and it's good to get him on the board, too, his first of the year. We don't look towards Justin Falk as consistent offense, but I think that 
he'll be heavily relied on as we go on. You know, we're not asking for 30 goals, but he's kind of a facilitator more or less. So anything that he can bring to the table, you know, is great for us. The thing that kind of hurts is give, blowing the third period lead. Silverberg, you know, with the goal there, you know, not exactly what you want. But again, overtime, I think the thing that stood out the most was that Ajo shift with, I think it was Teravinen and Hannafin. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're right. Um, it, they were out there way too long. There was chances where they could have got off the ice, but I don't know if it was a miscommunication or then they just liked their chances. But anyway, I don't know. There was multiple breakaways, including the Aho one. Yes, I know it's at the end of a long shift, but you got to finish on something there. There, there is way too much. They generated a good amount of offense in overtime. You saw the shots. It was heavily in our favor. Miller just made some good saves. And then once it goes to a shootout, I inevitably turn off my TV. I assume it's going to be a loss every single time. I kid you not. Every time it goes to a shootout, I turn it off. And then I check the box score. And if we win, I'm happy. But if we lose, it's I've become apathetic to shootouts. I just think that – I don't think that the Canes aren't talented enough to win a shootout. I just think we're unlucky. And I don't know if that exists in a world of stats and stuff like that. But it's just not what you want. And then um, I saw the stat, kind of the narrative. So coming out of this game was Jeff Skinner not being uh, in the shootout. And I know that if you look at since Skinner has been under Peters, his totals have been pretty low. I just don't know if you throw a very tired Sebastian Ajo who played, I want to say like a minute, 32 minutes in overtime to try to help save your game. I just don't see it, especially a guy that hasn't really found a scoring touch this year. Um, ultimately, I think it was pretty disappointing, but I think it all just leads back to that third period and not blowing that lead so that you can avoid any situation like what you saw in overtime or in the shootout. So, you know, a one-two in one week, I hate to say I told you so, but I definitely didn't think it would end like this. They played well enough to win again, and we're not rewarded, so... Ultimately, a little bit disappointed, but hopefully, you know, this week and this weekend can uh, be a little bit more positive. Okay. Um, I agree with everything that you both just said. Before I start this, I would like to make it uh, very clear that this game against Anaheim was not a must win. It was not a big deal, I guess. It's it's an October 29th or 30th whatever day it was on it's an it's an october game it's whatever it is however you cannot lose that game you cannot lose that game carolina granted they played three games in four nights however the first game was in toronto they came back on friday and played the blues very clear at the end of that that they were worn out and honestly, when they were getting booed at the end of the St. Louis game, I don't know how that doesn't have an effect on the players. And I'm not saying that it didn't, but they certainly didn't show it in the first period against Anaheim. They were home all weekend, including Saturday, all day Saturday. That was a, I believe they had a short skate on Saturday, um, but that was a rest day because they clearly needed it. And Anaheim, on the other hand, they were finishing a three and three games in four nights stretch too, but the difference there is they played a game 
on Thursday in Florida. Then they went to Tampa for a game on Saturday, a seven o'clock start time on Saturday. Then they had to, after that game, go to Raleigh for a five o'clock start time against the Hurricanes. Look, they played two full games in like 24 and a half hours. If you're the Hurricanes and you are a team that needs to start winning at home, they need to. They've been fine on the road, and what they've done on the road is more than good enough to get them into the playoffs. They have been bad at home. I believe they're 1-2-1 one, and one on home ice in October, and they haven't won since opening night. The third period against Anaheim was just so discouraging because you have them where you want them. They, you are up 3-2. to two. After that first period was over, they scored two in the second. They dominated Anaheim in the second. You have all the momentum coming into that third period against an Anaheim team that has played two games, or at that point, five periods in less than 24 hours. You have to pounce on them in the third. You can't sit back and do this little cutesy thing that they tend to do and, like, you know, just lock up. I mean, a lot of teams do that. But when the Hurricanes are in this situation, what's different about them compared to other teams is when other teams sit back and they sometimes get the chance to score, a lot of them have the talent to score. And I don't think the Hurricanes necessarily have that. Or if they do, they haven't proven that consistently, let's say, in those situations. This is an Anaheim team that, yes, they don't have Ryan Kessler, but that top-end talent is still there. They still have Silverberg. Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff and all those players that can make you pay if, if you sit back on a lead. And Anaheim just emptied whatever they had left in the tank in that third period after a 3-4 and four that was harsh on them in regards to travel and rest time, which I have very little of. Moral of the story here, as I'm going on and on about this, you have to come out with that game. So they lose instead. And Anaheim scored two goals in that opening period, and they were flat out better than the Hurricanes. The first goal Anaheim scored was Derek Ryan winning a neutral zone faceoff, and I believe it was Nick Ritchie came in and pretty much stole the puck off of the faceoff, and then Anaheim scored. I'm willing to put that goal on. That was kind of interesting how... Carolina won a faceoff, and Anaheim instantly got the puck. The second goal, Derek Grant. The puck goes around the boards behind Scott Darling, and Hannafin's chasing after it, and he somehow doesn't win that puck battle with Andrew Cogliano. Ultimately, Jeff Skinner pulls it out of the feet of both of them and tries to pass it up to Derek Ryan. His pass bounces off of Hannafin's leg right into the middle of the ice, and Grant right there that is what it is again that's another kind of fluky one you're gonna see where i'm going with this in a second but (laughs) (laughs) i promise i get to a point i promise but yeah you have a tough time convincing me that one specific player was at fault on that goal and if anyone i'd debate that it's more noah hannafin for not getting the puck cleanly from cogliano or not picking up the puck cleanly along the boards at some point in that play so that's at 17 minutes into the first period. Jeff Skinner scores a huge goal. And 
I don't care how he scores his goals as long as he scores them. That's just driving the net and getting a fortunate bounce. So that's with seven seconds left in the period. They needed that goal to salvage that period. 2-1 against Anaheim after one period on home ice is so much better than 2 nothing. Second period, Carolina comes out, they dominate. There's no problem. Ajo's assist to Jordan Stahl was very impressive how he kind of improvised that pass out of going out of the, uh, the wraparound attempt. That was great stuff. Falk scoring needs to happen more. It was good that he came through in the second. In the third, Anaheim really outwilled this Hurricanes team, as I've alluded to. Silverberg scores on a weak goal from Scott Darling, how he let that squeeze through. Silverberg is a great goal scorer. That, that was only his first of the year. So that's a way to jumpstart your year if you're Silverberg. You get a pretty easy one on Darling. And I'm not going to blame Darling for, for much because I think he's been put in a bad situation on a lot of these goals that he's led up this year. The Ryan skinner in line was on the ice for that goal. They were on, on the ice for all three. And yes, I know the optics of that are bad. But looking at those goals, I don't think a very convincing argument can be made that oh, this was Skinner's fault on this goal, or this was whoever's fault on this goal. On this goal in particular, this third one, Anaheim's carrying the puck up ice. Jeff Skinner is dogging whoever had the puck. I believe it might have been Hampus Lindholm who had the puck. He was back-checking like crazy. He forces separation from the player and the puck. It's a loose puck. Derek Ryan can't get to the puck, and instead he pokes it ahead, and Anaheim has it, and they have... A chance of ice. And that, this was all after Skinner forced a turnover, or should have forced a turnover. After that goal, the Carolina Hurricanes decided not to, or Bill Peters, I guess, decided not to ice Jeff Skinner, Derek Reiner, Yanni Kukinen for the entirety of the rest of the game. For the entirety of the rest of the game, five minutes left in the third period, five minutes in overtime, Jeff Skinner did not play. I cannot possibly understand how anyone could justify that. Quite honestly, and look, I've made it very clear that I don't think Jeff Skinner is directly at fault for really any of those goals. But even if he was, even if he was directly responsible for what happened, and them blowing that lead in the third or having an awful first period... You still play him. He is the best offensive player on this team. And when you are tied with Anaheim on home ice and Anaheim is playing their second game in 24 hours, they're about to complete their second game in 24 hours, you have to stay on the offensive and you have to get Jeff Skinner on the ice. If you don't want him with Derek Ryan or Yanni Kukinen, great. Put him with Rask and Williams. That's fine. And Williams and Rask both got plenty of time through the rest of regulation and Rask had tons of ice time in overtime as uh, Justin alluded to. There's no way, there's no excuse to be made for that. And it was an act of, you know, making a statement to Skinner and Bill Peters said it himself. He didn't say that them not getting ice time was a punishment for, for them being on the ice for all three goals, but he said specifically that he did not like how that line played defensively. And while that's all good, you have to play Skinner, especially in three-on-three overtime where Skinner is the best skater on this team. 
and his ability to create space for himself. I don't know if anybody else on the team rivals that, at least not in the way that he does. In the way that he can finish and score goals, it's mind-boggling to me that Jeff Skinner sat on the bench for five minutes to end the third period and for the entirety of the overtime period. I, I just, I don't understand it. If this team wants to win that game, they have to score a goal, be it in third or overtime. And if you're betting on getting a win shootout, you have not watched Hurricanes hockey at all. So not playing Jeff Skinner for the entirety of the rest of the third period in overtime was a very, very ill-advised move from Bill Peters. You're making your team worse in a game where you need a goal. What Jeff Skinner throughout his entire career has made a living off of making plays when they matter. He has done it time after time. He did it in the first period. With seven seconds left, he scored. That's a huge goal. Do we remember the Dallas game when Carolina was getting absolutely obliterated by a Stars team that, at that point, hadn't been very impressive? Jeff Skinner was the guy who scored twice to make it a 4-2 game. Carolina ultimately made it 4-3, and Skinner very nearly scored on 7-foot-tall Ben Bishop late in the third to send that one to overtime, potentially. I get what the message is here from Peters. You don't like how your line is playing defensively. But I don't think that he calculated all of it, the whole thing. I get that, you know, it's a gut decision to just bench someone for the rest of the game. Obviously, he wasn't happy lighting up that lead, which in itself is inexcusable. But not playing Jeff Skinner was, in my opinion, incredibly irresponsible and detrimental to the team. I If, if one of you two have a counterpoint to it, that's... I'll, I'll, I'll gladly hear it, but one other thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. One other thing. Noah Hannafin is a player that I like a lot. I, I picked him to be my breakout player of the year for the Hurricanes this year. Noah Hannafin was on the ice for two Anaheim goals, including the second one where he was weak on Andrew Cogliano on the boards and allowed there to be a puck battle where there shouldn't have been a puck battle. And I don't have to go game by game, especially these past four, to pick up some examples of Noah Hannafin playing poor defense. I don't, because he does it very often, in my opinion. The, the advanced numbers suggest otherwise, and that's totally all good. And I, I love advanced statistics, but if you watch Noah Hannafin play defense, he looks rough. He looks really rough. His offensive production this year has been great. The way that he's been able to produce offense and shoot the puck. Um, he got robbed in Toronto, like Kyle said. He's been playing really well offensively. But defensively, it has been a an experience to watch, really, of, of Noah Hannafin for the most part. And it wasn't any different, really, against Anaheim. He was out there for two of the goals, and he's a defenseman. And he should be making impactful defensive plays at some times. I'm not expecting the world out of him, but I'm expecting a little bit better than that. After that, he was part of that long shift with Aho and Rask in overtime. If you are going to bench Jeff Skinner for the entirety of the rest of the game, for goals that, in my opinion, were not his fault, what are you doing 
playing Noah Hannafin. Noah Hannafin's offensive talents, like I just said, are great, and they are a huge asset. His skating ability is incredible. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been playing whatsoever, because I see the benefit in having him in those situations. But if you're going to play Hannafin, and you're going to bench Jeff Skinner, a guy who is constantly coming clutch for, for this team when they have been bad, I don't get it. I just I don't understand how you how you play Hannafin and you don't play Skinner. Either you play both of them, which I think they should have, or you play neither of them. You you make a statement. If you're going to make that statement, make it. But you can't exclude Hannafin from that discussion, especially when you're talking about Jeff Skinner. Like, what else does he need to do to prove that he is the very best scorer and the very best offensive threat on this hockey team, especially this year? In three of the ten games this year, including the Anaheim game, he scored the only goal. And in two of the other ones, he had a primary assist against Calgary. He had a goal and a primary assist against Calgary. And in Dallas, he had two of the three and ignited the comeback. So really, you're looking at half of these games, he's been your main source of goal scoring. And a bunch of the other ones, he's scoring too. So I really, I, I know I'm going on about this. And again, this is not a an end of the world deal it really isn't but you make your team worse by doing what bill peters did and it's just been like a piling on effect of me questioning what he's doing at times and i'm not an nhl coach i'll never be an nhl coach i'm not claiming that i know more than bill peters i do not but from my perspective what what the decisions that he chose to make were questionable at best um inexcusable at worst it's it's just it just it's it's a bad look for him and it's a bad look for Skinner. It's a bad look for the team because they lost that hockey game. I'm not gonna say oh fire Bill Peters, but he needs to make a better decision in that situation. I guess, I guess I might I might go a little further. I am starting to wonder about the quality of a coach that Peters is given given everything you kind of just went into i like I, I i think it's a little i mean i know you're not going doom and gloom but i i think it's silly to go doom and gloom absolutely i'm not again not not saying you're doing that just there are some people who are doing that and i don't think we're there yet but you kind of got to wonder how much of peter's tenure with the canes has been him being good at making bad teams looking better when they are and better than they are, rather. And we know he's good, a good coach at doing that. Uh, what we don't know is if he is a good coach at coaching a good roster to being a good team. And now that he has a good roster, you know, it's early. It's 10 games into the season, but 4-4-2 four, four, and two isn't a good record. It's not a bad record. It's, it's not the kind of record we've had out of Octobers and years before. But... You, you expect better than that. We expected better than that. We, we were told we were done losing. Uh, we were told by pretty much everyone in hockey that this was a playoff team. And right now they look okay, but they don't look like a playoff team. And I think I do wonder how much that is being driven by <laughs> the decision to use Jeff Skinner as like a specialty player when he's the best dang player on this hockey team, at least at forward. And probably, I, I don't think you could put him any lower than second uh, behind Slavin. 
in terms of the best player overall on the team. You gotta <laughs> you gotta play him in overtime. You gotta play him when the game's tied late. Uh, yeah, he's not he's not Marion Hosa defensively, but he's a winger. <laughs> Patrick Kane doesn't get held to that standard defensively. Alex Ovechkin doesn't get held to that standard defensively. I don't know. Well, I think that first and foremost, I'm going to kind of tie your two points together. I think you both had some good points. Um, I think the common misconception that Bill Peters has, and again, I'm not a coach either, like you said, I think he's trying to turn Jeff Skinner into a two-way forward, and that is not what he is. Yes, Skinner was on a, a line that was gave up basically three goals uh, in the Ducks game. However, his good definitely outweighs the bad. He is not a two-way player. He's a sniper. He's He is a shooter. That's all he cares about. No matter what Bill Peters tries to force on him, no matter what system he tries to impose, Jeff Skinner is in the league to score goals, and he's good at it. So I think it's up to Peters to adapt to Skinner, which has always been a weird dynamic to me because I feel like he's never gotten the respect that he's deserved from Peters. You know, whether that came down to the situation this summer of not giving him the C, I think that, you know, definitely the circles around it could say that he deserved it. But I think, yeah, ultimately, I don't I don't know if it's something behind the scenes or what that he I just don't feel like he respects Jeff Skinner enough. And that's just me. It may just be coming out of left field out of there. But I, I truly think that he is trying to instill this two way forward philosophy in Jeff Skinner and it will not work. Don't put him on a line with other players that you expect to do to like, you know, two way forward type deals, you know, gr- grinding on both ends of the, um, of the ice. He's meant for offensive offensive zone starts. He's meant for that. So ultimately I think, yeah, it, it all comes down to the utilization of him. You can't keep pushing him. He's not going to be a Selkie candidate. He's going to be a Rashard candidate, if anything. Uh, I know that's a little, little, little too much. But um, and another point you touched on, Peters in this start. Um, yes, four, five, and one is not, or excuse me, four, four, and two um, is not what you want. But you have between when this podcast basically goes up until the next time we release one, you have a game against Colorado, Arizona, and Florida. If you lose two games out of those three, I think you have to at least done. maybe. I'm not saying done. Yeah, that's. I say hot seat. I'm uh, saying hot seat. You got to at least think hot seat. I'm not saying fired automatically, but I'm saying if you lose two of those in regulation of all things um, against one of those three teams, I'm sorry that that's a hot seat to me. I'm afraid that this happened with with Skinner, and you're right. He's trying to make him into a two way player. Every time the Hurricanes get a forward who is great offensively but not great defensively, is are, is Bill Pierce going to turn every single one of them into two A players? Is that what is that what he's going to do with Martin Netches? Is that why he only got like six minutes of ice time in his only game of the year? I certainly hope that Pierce won't do that. Uh, I didn't want this year to be like this. I wanted this year to be better. Um, I don't know. Like, like it's early. Like, yeah. Okay. But yeah, like let, let me let me address let me address this upcoming schedule. We just had a really tough stretch. We can all agree on that. Toronto, Tampa, St. Louis, and then Anaheim. Not so great. But those first three games, that's a brutal stretch. I'll take one and one out of those, or one one and one. You know what I mean? The schedule makers have lob, lobbed you a softball 
right over the plate here. It really doesn't get worse than an Arizona team that just got its first win. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. You don't have to worry about Arizona finding a way to get their first win against you. Uh, Colorado, they're still Colorado. And then Florida, a team that, you know, gave away Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau for no reason and now suddenly can't score and has might have Antiniemi in goal. And, oh, by the way, they're 4-6-1. and one. And then a Colorado team that's, yeah, they're 6-5 and five right now, but they're the Colorado Avalanche. Their goal differential is zero. They're 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 not they're not doing what they're they look like they're doing. Like I said, Arizona just won. They're now one ten and one. One ten and one. You lose to Arizona. I'm not saying you fire Bill Peters, but you got to start thinking about it. One ten and one minus twenty one goal differential. The next closest team is minus fifteen, which is that putrid Buffalo team. You cannot lose that Arizona game. You cannot lose to Colorado. You cannot lose to Florida. I'm not saying you have to win all three because shit happens. They'll probably lose one of them, but they have to win two of those games. They have to, or else this team will be just like all the other ones. Uh, they're already behind the eight ball. We're getting, we're quickly approaching American Thanksgiving, which, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, is a pretty realistic cut line for the playoffs. It's hard to make the playoffs if you're not in American Thanksgiving. Uh, so, yeah, you have an opportunity here. You went 500 against some good teams, kick some ass against the bottom feeders, and you'll be right back where you should be. That has to be the message. Like, that has to be. They have to be confident. They have to know they can handle teams like the next three on their schedule. And, you know, the new guys, Darling and Williams, have talked about, Darling specifically, the resiliency that this team has. Williams has been talking about the... Uh, the legitimacy that this team has and they need to prove it. <laughs> I mean, the, the, so that resiliency has been proven a couple times this year. They need to prove that they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat period. End of story. Go do it. And even going beyond winning or being the teams that they need to beat. When you put yourself into a situation where you are winning in the third period, you have to close it out. You have to win games that you have in your control late. Anaheim, you're up 3-2. You don't lose that game. You do not lose that game. No excuse for it. Especially given the circumstances that I talked about earlier. St. Louis, you're tied with them 1-1 going into the third. You're at home. You have to show more effort than that. They deserve to get booed for that effort in the third period. Look, if, if they go out and they are miserable on this road trip in Colorado and Arizona... We're getting to that point because if you lose two, if you lose two of those games, guess what? You're at Columbus. Next day, you're hosting Chicago. Then you have Dallas, New York Islanders. Those are four teams that can feasibly beat you, and in some of those cases, should beat you. So if you're hovering around 500 before then, and then you lose three of four, you're fucked. You're fucked. Your season's over. I mean, honestly, just like looking at history, your season's pretty much over. If you are going in below 500 into December, good luck. You're probably not going to do anything beyond April 10th. Bill Peters has to do something. Do something that works. <laughs> I know that's easy for me to say. and It's a lot. It's easy, easy for us to, to say these things because we're not in that position. But 
he's a head coach, and I mean, damn, like, he has to get the job done. And this team as a whole has to put forth the effort and get the job done. Yeah, November is a very important month. Um, I, I think that, you know, kind of the narrative is, hey, don't don't worry. You know, it's, it's early in the season. It's early in the season. Um, but this thing that has historically plagued this team is bad starts. Um, as Kyle said, yeah, Thanksgiving hitting that deadline, you know, in stride is very important. But, I mean, we've seen big Decembers from this team. We've seen big Marches from this team. Um, but it's those months in between. they got to start stringing some wins together. And it, it doesn't get easier than the next three games. Um, you got to at least get two. You know, five out of six points would be – five out of six points or six out of six points would be amazing. Um, but you at least got to get those four because, you know, you – as Kyle said, a softball is coming your way, um, and you gotta you gotta crank it out of the park on this one. Um, but we're gonna transition here a little bit, and we're gonna talk about today some news. Yanni Stay Woken in, which we'll get we'll get on that topic. Um, he was sent down to Charlotte, so now he joins an already stacked offensive team um, that has now earned their way uh, six and three record. It, things are looking okay. I, I went to the Utica game on Sunday. That was very embarrassing. It was like six six to three loss, but it was two garbage time goals. It was like six one. Um, they were coming off again. They were coming off a back to back against Utica. They embarrassed them in the first game five to one. So I, I think it was more of uh, Utica's coaching staff lighting a fire than anything. But now. Stay Woken in is going to be inserted into this lineup, and I'm just going to quickly go over some lines for you guys. And you tell me if this doesn't sound like a good problem to have. You got Di Giuseppe, Walmart, and Miller because Zykov was dropped to a line with Nicholas Waugh and Julian Gauthier. And then your second line is Sorella, Polarowski, and Brown. Now, the third line is where it gets a little iffy, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. Uh, Clark Bishop, Mike Ferentino, and Zach Stortini, which I know Kyle is a big fan of Zach Stortini. As of right now, Warren Fogles has an illness. Tolchinsky's injured. Trevor Carrick's injured. So they're without some kind of decent contributors in the lineup. Um, I think that if you can get back a healthy Tolchinsky and a healthy Fogel, um, if you could run with, you could run four scoring lines and be fine. You could take out that last line of Bishop, Ferentino, and Sortini, um, and be fine. Uh, they're they're going to be like a uh, more or less a Toronto type team where they're going to have to score their way out of a lot of issues because the back end's pretty rough. But yeah, you got Brendan Kitchen on that first pairing with uh, Carrick out, and he looked terrible uh, in that Utica game. He was beat on just about every play. Um, he, he just doesn't belong, frankly. Now, as they head into the month of November, uh, a big key is that they're kind of trying to figure out the goaltending situation. They've been rotating routinely in the first part of the season because there's just been a lot of spacing. But now they're about to embark on an eight-game road trip. Uh, so now this is where your starter emerge. And I think it's Nadelkovich in this case. He's undefeated so far. Uh, underlying stats, not the greatest. He's now got his save percentage up to 900. Um, it wasn't yet, uh, but it, it's looking a lot better. They just play well in front of him, and I think that's what's going to give him the advantage. Smith had a terrible game on Sunday. Uh, he had a wrist shot, I swear. It was probably going like 30 miles per hour, no traffic in front, and he just whiffed on it. But, no, I, I think this is 
this is a team they just keep getting stronger uh, i guess we'll see how this eight game road trip pans out but if they can keep up the current momentum they have uh there's no reason that the checkers definitely are a playoff team and maybe even a uh you know the competitor for a championship yeah i'm with you um Quokinen coming back or going back down there is a huge ad for them. I, I think that he should have gotten a a longer look in in Raleigh, given how the depth scoring or lack thereof has has been so far this year. But yeah, I mean this this Charlotte team is really good. You better be ready, Justin, for for us to take some of those guys uh, here in the near future. Yeah, um, it's a good problem to have. Uh, you can't say that every single one of these is going to turn out uh, and develop, but I mean, there's there's, there's some. Oh, I Zach mean, Sortini is the future. That would be a great problem to have for sure. Um, but you wonder if you know they play well enough that you can package them in a pick. If if the Canes are competitive down the stretch uh, to where they can make a move, then maybe you see one of these guys that you know, like a Nicholas Wall, or maybe even a maybe even a you know Sorella. Move him again. <laughs> I know, I know that he got moved to us, but uh, no, it'll be interesting to see. There, there's definitely been some good development down there. Uh, another, another standout that he's kind of a career AHLer, but he's been playing well lately is Dennis Robertson. Pretty solid defenseman. I mean, if everybody got injured, I guess you could see Robertson play in the NHL. Uh, but overall, he's been a pretty effective AHL defender. And a story that's kind of you know emerging around the league. Vadim Shipachev, um, big free agent signing from Russia, the KHL, came over to Vegas Golden Knights over the offseason and signed a two-year contract. Well, it looks like that contract will get terminated and Shipachev will make his way back to Russia after he was rumored to want out after being sent down to the AHL multiple times. Kyle, any thoughts about the Shipachev situation? Yeah, I think it just goes to show the incompetence that George McPhee exhibits as a general manager um a lot of people seem to forget his tenure in washington when they talked about him taking over the golden knights the general hockey uh certainly praised the signing as or not or not the signing but him being named the general manager as a, as a savvy hockey move as a guy who knew how to build a team uh but i'm not i don't think he knows how to build a team i, I don't i think he got some some good luck with the pieces he had in Washington and never added to that core very well. And it's not surprising to me to find out that the guy who traded Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat is still not a good GM in the NHL. Like, I just, I don't know what people were expecting. Like, in no doubt in my mind, he's an NHL player who should be probably a second-line center on an NHL team. Uh, it's just... It's pretty shocking that they can't find a way to figure that out. It sucks for him because I'm sure he was kind of viewing this as his big break, his big opportunity to, to make it. <laughs> Who knows if any NHL team is going to want to take a chance on him because I'm sure I'm sure the Golden Knights are spreading some dirt on him uh, around the league, giving some sort of reason why they're not so gung-ho about having him. But I, I think it's a silly situation, and I think we're being robbed of a chance to see a pretty exciting talent. Uh, that we've already been robbed of because he's in his 30s already. Yeah, and I mean, look at how they built this, uh, how how George McPhee built up that team through the expansion draft and all that process. I think George McPhee answered that and was like, oh, I'm going to run the league. Did you, though? Is that what you did? Did you 
did you, you know, handcuff GMs and put them in tough situations and do all that stuff? No. The Hurricanes gave up Connor Brickley, who they didn't even keep, and a late-ass draft pick to make sure that they didn't take any of their valuable players. And there are examples everywhere of just undervaluing certain pieces. And Vegas is off to a great start. They're doing well. It won't keep up. I I joke around, and I am a fan of what they're doing, and I don't think they're going to finish last in the league like we discussed in the season previews. But they're not this good. No way. So, I don't know. I think I think the whole idea of Vegas coming in and running the league, that definitely didn't come through. Yeah, and I think the thing that hurts the most is I, I read something today that Shipachoff is owned in over 60-something percent of fantasy leagues. So good luck to those owners out there. Brett, our quick uh, bad NHL 18 trade of the week. Oh, I loved mine. Um, I was playing as the Flames, and then, uh, of course, they have Travis Hamanick, uh, former New York Islander. <laughs> and uh, like like literally second week of the season, the Islanders offered me a second-round pick <laughs> for Travis Hamanick after uh, Calgary gave up a boatload to get Hamanick. Uh, they offered a second for Hamanick. Uh, I, I I did decline that trade, but I thought there was some good irony there. And I was offered a fourth round pick for Matthias Ekholm, so Worth it. that was pretty embarrassing as well. Thank you once again for listening to the Kings Country podcast. We are on episode fourteen. We are rolling. Uh, it was a good one. Uh, a lot of feelings got out. Uh, but you can follow us at Kings Country on Twitter. Always check out KanesCountry.com. We got some great stuff as always. Uh, I am Justin Lape also known as at Lanky Lape on Twitter. Uh, I cover the Charlotte Checkers for Canes Country. You can follow me at K underscore Morton 9. I have a weekly analytics column, and the World Series is going to be wrapping up this week, so I will actually be able to watch Hurricanes games uh, following the conclusion of that, and my analysis uh, and Twitter analysis will hopefully get a lot better quickly. And you can find me... Uh, on Twitter at Brett Finger, B-R-E-T-T-F-I-N-G-E-R. Definitely go check out all of those guys' work on canescountry.com. Yeah, thanks for listening to to some some passionate feelings about Hurricanes hockey. Hopefully it'll be a little more positive next week, but whew, we'll see. We might have a surprise guest next week, by the way. Also true. Uh, that's, another, that's another little tease for you, but looking forward to talking again next week, guys. See ya. Coast Coast Coast.